Chapter Seventeen of A Knight of the White Cross by G. A. Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen, Captured. Upon the following day, the dog requested Gervais to accompany him to a meeting of the council. Upon entering the grand hall, he found not only the members of the council assembled in their robes of office, but a large gathering of the nobles and principal citizens of Genoa, together with the knights of the galley, whom, under Ralph Harcourt's orders, Gervais found, to his surprise, drawn up in order across the hall. Here, in the name of the Republic, Battista Fragoso announced to him that, by the unanimous decision of the council, he had been elected a noble of Genoa, an honor, he added, on only one or two previous occasions in the history of the Republic bestowed upon any but of princely rank, but which he had nobly earned by the great service he had rendered to the state. His name was then inscribed in the book containing the names and titles of the nobles of Genoa. Next, Battista Fragoso presented him with a superb suit of Milanese armor, as his own personal gift, and then with a casket of very valuable jewels, as the gift of the city of Genoa. Each presentation was accompanied by the plaudits of the assembly, and by the no less warm acclamations of the knights. Ralph was then called forward, and presented with a suit of armor, but little inferior to that given to Gervais, and each knight received a heavy gold chain of the finest workmanship of Genoa. Two days later the preparations for departure were complete, and a sufficient number of men were engaged to man the prizes. This charge also Genoa took upon itself, and put on board much stronger crews than Gervais deemed necessary for the navigation of the ships. The weather was fine, and the wind favorable, and a quick passage was made to Rhodes. When the harbor was in sight, the ships were ordered to proceed in single file, the galley leading the way with a huge banner of the order floating from her stern and smaller flags on staffs at each side. It was not until they passed by the two forts guarding the entrance that the flags fluttering at the mastheads of the prizes afforded to those on shore an intimation of the event that had taken place, and even then none supposed that this fleet of prizes had been taken by the one galley that headed them. As the Santa Barbara slowly rode up the harbor, the state barge of the Grand Master put off to meet it, and D'Aubison, with a party of knights, soon stepped on board. Welcome back, Sir Gervais, although I little expected to see you return so soon. What is the meaning of this procession that follows you? By their rig and appearance they are moors, but how they come to be thus sailing in your wake is a mystery to us all. They are Moors, Your Excellency. They form part of an expedition fitted out by the Corsairs of Algiers, Tripoli, Tunis, and other piratical strongholds for the purpose of destroying the commerce and ravaging the coasts of western Italy, 
fortunately we fell in with a ship that had been plundered by three of them on their way north and learned from the dying captain who was the only one of her crew left with life on board the direction they were taking and something of the nature of the expedition we pursued the three galleys came up with them had the good fortune to capture them and then had the delight of finding among their rowers the noble knights fabricius Caretto, giacomo da vinci and pietro forzo the grand master and the knights with him uttered an exclamation of joy and as the three knights named stepped forward embraced them with the liveliest pleasure my dear Caretto, the grand master exclaimed it is almost a resurrection for we have all long mourned you as dead and your return to us at the present time is indeed fortunate for upon whose judgment and aid could i better rely than those of my old comrade in arms then turning to gervaise he went on it was a daring and brilliant exploit indeed sir gervaise and in due time honor shall be paid to you and your brave companions to whom and to you i now tender the thanks of the order but tell me the rest briefly for i would fain hear from these noble knights and old friends the story of what has befallen them my tale is a very brief one your highness the cavalier Caretto sailed at once in a swift craft from the south of sardinia to carry warnings to the cities on the coast of italy of the danger that threatened them and in order that some war galleys might be dispatched by genoa to meet the corsair fleet during his absence we discovered the little inlet in which the pirates lay hidden waiting doubtless the arrival of the three ships we had captured to commence operations on the return of the night with the news that it would be at least a fortnight before genoa could fit out any galleys and fearing that the pirates might at any moment put to sea we procured some small sardinian craft and fitted them as fire-ships with the captives we had rescued and some sard fishermen we manned the three prizes distributing the knights between them and at night launched the fire-ships against the corsairs whose ships were crowded together eleven of them were burnt six we captured as they endeavored to make their way out and took possession of four others whose crews had run them ashore and deserted them none escaped exclamations of astonishment and almost of incredulity broke from the knights and is it possible sir gervaise that these thirteen vessels that follow you are all prizes captured by your galley alone it is as i have the honor to tell your highness but their capture except in the case of the first three was due almost solely to good fortune and to the position in which we found them almost incapable of defence what think you knights and comrades the grand master said to his companions there were some of you who deemed it rash to entrust a galley to so young a commander and so youthful a crew what say you now never in the annals of the order has such a sight been witnessed as that of thirteen prizes being brought in by a single galley to say not of eleven others destroyed 
Coretto, you and your comrades must have had some share in this marvelous victory. By no means, the Italian replied, beyond having the honor of aiding to carry out the orders of Sir Gervais Tresham, the commander of the galley. The plan was wholly of his own devising, its execution solely due to his arrangement of the details, and that without the slightest suggestion on the part of myself or my comrades. I will presently narrate to you the whole story. It will come better from my lips than from those of Sir Gervais, whose disposition is to wholly underestimate the merit of the action he has performed. But I must also bear testimony, not only to the bravery displayed by Sir Gervais, Sir Ralph Harcourt his lieutenant, and every one of the knights his crew, but to the admirable discipline, order, and good fellowship on board the galley which would have done credit to the most experienced commander and to the most veteran knights of the order. The Grand Master paused a moment, and then said in a loud voice, Sir Gervais Tresham, Sir Ralph Harcourt, and knights of the seven langs of the order, as yet I can hardly appreciate the full extent of the service that you have rendered. I thanked you but now for the capture of three corsairs, but what can I say when I learn that you have destroyed, or taken, a whole fleet? I invite you all to a banquet that I shall hold to-night, where the cavalier Caretto will relate to us all the details of this marvelous exploit. Within a few minutes after the return of the Grand Master and his party ashore, the flags of the order were run up to the flagstaffs of every fort and bastion. The bells of the churches chimed out a triumphant peal, and a salute was fired from the guns of the three water forts, while along the wall facing the port, the townspeople waved numberless gay flags as a welcome to the galley. Most of the knights went ashore at once, but Gervais, under the excuse that he wished to see that everything was in order before landing, remained on board until it was time to go to the banquet, being sure that by that time the knights would have fully told the story at their respective averges, and that there would be no more questions to answer. The banquet differed but little from that at Genoa, and Gervais was heartily glad when it was over. The next day the Grand Master sent for him, if I judge rightly, Sir Gervais, the thing that will best please you at present is an order to put to sea again at once, to conclude the usual period of service of the galley. It is indeed, Gervais replied earnestly, but I should be glad, sir, if you will allow that the time should begin to count afresh from our present start. We have really had but a short period of service, for we wasted a week at Genoa, and ten days on our journey back here, so that we have had really no more than a month's active service. Yes, if you count only by time, Diabason said with a smile, reckoning by results you have done a good five years' cruise. However, so small a request can certainly be granted. The places of the two knights who were killed and of four others whose wounds are reported to me as being too severe for them to be fit for service for some time, 
shall be filled up at once from the lands to which each belonged you will cruise among the western islands whence complaints have reached us of a corsair who has been plundering and burning sometimes he is heard of as far north as negropont at others he is off the coast of the moria then again we hear of him among the cyclades we have been unwilling to dispatch another galley for there is an ample employment for every one here after the blow you have struck on the moorish corsairs they are likely to be quiet for a little you had best therefore try for a time if you cannot come across this pirate you must let me know how much you paid for the vessels you used as fire-ships and to the sards this is an expense chargeable to the general service i may tell you that to me it is due that no recognition of your exploits such as that which genoa bestowed upon you will be made at the council this morning it was urged that some signal mark of honor should be granted but i interposed saying that you had already received exceptional promotion and that it would not be for your good or that of the order for so young a knight to be raised to an official position of a character usually held by seniors and that i was perfectly sure you would prefer remaining in command of your galley to any promotion whatever that would retain you on the island indeed i should your highness i wish to gain experience and to do service to the order and so far from pleasing me promotion would trouble and distress me and could it have been done i would most gladly have sent home the prizes instead of going to genoa and would myself have continued the cruise so cavalier caretto told me the grand master replied very well then in three days you shall set out again the admiral tells me that never before has a galley returned with the slaves in such good health and condition and that unquestionably your plan of erecting an awning to shelter them from the midday heat and the night dews has had a most beneficial effect on their health he has recommended its general adoption three days later the santa barbara again left port and was soon upon her station for some weeks she cruised backwards and forwards along the coast and among the islands they often heard of the pirate ship but all their efforts to find her were unavailing one evening there were signs of a change of weather and by morning it was blowing a furious gale from the north in spite of the efforts of the rowers the galley narrowly escaped being driven ashore but she at last gained the shelter of an island and anchored under its lee the slaves being utterly worn out by continuous exertion as soon as the gale abated they again put to sea and after proceeding for some miles saw a ship cast up on the shore some people could be made out on board of her and a white flag was raised she must have been driven ashore during the gale gervais said we will row into within a quarter of a mile of her and see what we can do for them as soon as the anchor was dropped a boat was lowered i will go myself ralph for i shall be glad to set my foot on shore again there must be people on the island i wonder none of them have come to the aid of those poor fellows i suppose the villages are on the other side of the island and they have not yet heard of the wreck 
Gervaise asked three of the knights to accompany him, and the boat, rowed by galley-slaves, was soon on its way. All were glad at the change afforded to the monotony of their life on board, and at the prospect of a scamper on shore. There were but five or six men to be seen on the deck of the wreck, and these had, as the boat approached, come down to the rocks as if to meet those who came to their aid. But as the knights leapt out, they threw themselves suddenly upon them with knives and scimitars that had hitherto been concealed beneath their garments, while at the same moment a crowd of men appeared on the deck of the ship, and leaping down, ran forward with drawn swords. Two of the knights fell dead before they had time to draw their weapons. The third shook off his two assailants, and for a minute kept them both at bay, but others rushing up cut him down. Gervaise had received a slight wound before he realized what was happening. He snatched his dagger from its sheath and struck down one assailant, but ere he could raise it to strike again, another leapt onto his back and clung there until the rest rushed up, when he shouted, Take him alive! Take him alive! And throwing down their weapons, half a dozen of the pirates flung themselves upon Gervaise and strove to pull him to the ground until at last, in spite of his desperate resistance, they succeeded in doing so. His armor was hastily stripped off, his hands and feet bound, and then, at the order of the pirate who had leapt on his back, and who was evidently the captain, half a dozen men lifted him onto their shoulders. As they did so, four guns from the galley flashed out, and the balls flew overhead, the pirates, who had already begun to quarrel over the armor and arms of the fallen knights, at once took to their heels, followed by the galley-slaves from the boat. "'Make haste!' the captain said to the men carrying Gervais. "'They are lowering their boat. We must be under way before they come up.' In a minute or two Gervais was set down on his feet. The cords round his legs were cut, and he was made to hurry along with his captors. In a short time an inlet was reached, and here Gervais saw, to his mortification, the pirate craft for which the Santa Barbara had in vain been searching. As soon as the party were all on board, the ropes by which she was moored to two trees were thrown off, the great sails hoisted, and she sailed boldly out. Although the gale had entirely abated, there was still a brisk wind blowing, and it was evident to the captain of the Corsair that under such circumstances he could outsail the galley that had long been searching for him. When, therefore, the Santa Barbara came in sight, just as he and his crew had finished stripping the wreck of its contents, the idea had occurred to him to attempt to entice some of the knights to land. As soon as the vessel was under way, he abused his followers hotly for not having obeyed his orders to capture the knights without bloodshed, but they pleaded that it was as much as they had been able to do to capture Gervais in that way and that they could never have overcome the four together, before the boats would have had time to come from the ship. Gervais had been told to sit down with his back to a mast, and in this position he could, when the vessel heeled over to the breeze, obtain a view of the sea. It was with a feeling of bitter mortification and rage that he saw the galley lying but half a mile away as the corsair issued from the inlet. A moment later he heard a gun fired, and saw the signal hoisted to recall the boats. "'If the wind had been favorable,' the captain said to his mate, 
we would have borne down upon her and could have reached and captured her before the boats got back for you may be sure that they have landed almost all their men however we can't get there against the wind and we will now say good-bye to them gervaise knew well that at the pace they were running through the water the galley would have no chance whatever of overtaking her and that ere the knights came on board again she would be already two or three miles away a point of land soon concealed the galley from view and when he caught sight of her as she rounded the point she was but a speck in the distance they passed several islands in the course of the day changing their direction to a right angle to that which they had at first pursued as soon as they were hidden from the sight of the galley by an intervening island as night came on they anchored in a little bay on the coast of moria the sails being furled the sailors made a division of the booty they had captured on the island and of the portable property found on board the wreck a gourd full of water was placed to gervaise's lips by one of the men of a kinder disposition than the rest he drank it thankfully for he was parched with thirst excited by the pain caused by the tightness with which he had been bound he slept where he sat all night four men remained on guard although from what he heard they had no fear whatever of being overtaken in the morning his arms were unbound and they stripped off his tunic and shirt they had evidently respect for his strength for before loosing his arms they tightly fastened his ankles together the removal of his shirt exposed claudia's gift to view take that from him and give it to me the captain said as the two men approached gervais seized one in each hand dashed them against each other and hurled them on the deck but the exertion upset his equilibrium and after making a vain attempt to recover it he fell heavily across them the captain stooped over him and before he could recover himself snatched the chain from his neck you are a stout fellow he said laughing and will make a fine slave what have you got here that you are ready to risk your life for he looked at the little chain and its pendant with an air of disappointment tis worth but little he said showing it to his mate i would not give five ducats for it in the market it must be a charm or a knight would never carry it about with him and prize it so highly it may be to things like this the christians owe their luck it has not brought him luck this time the mate observed with a laugh even a charm cannot always bring good luck but at any rate i will try it and he put it round his neck just as gervaise had worn it the latter was now unbound and permitted to move about the deck the strength he had shown in the struggle on shore and the manner in which he had hurled bound as he was two of their comrades to the deck had won for him the respect of his captors and he was therefore allowed privileges not granted to the seamen of the vessel that had had the ill fortune to be cast on shore so close to the spot where the corsair was hiding these had been seized driven to the ship and having been stripped of the greater portion of their clothes shut down in the hold although angry that but one out of the four who landed had been captured the captain was in a good humour at having tricked his redoubtable foes 
and was disposed to treat Gervais with more consideration than was generally given to captives. The latter had not spoken a word of Turkish from the time he was captured, and had shaken his head when first addressed in that language. No suspicion was, therefore, entertained that he had any knowledge of it, and the Turks conversed freely before him. "'Where think you we had better sell him?' the mate asked the captain, when Gervais was leaning against the bulwark watching the land, a short quarter of a mile away. "'He ought to fetch a good ransom.' "'Aye, but who would get it? You know how it was with one that Ibrahim took two years ago. First there was months of delay. Then when the ransom was settled, the pasha took four-fifths of it for himself.' and ibrahim got far less than he would have done had he sold him as a slave the pashas here and the sultans of the moors are all alike if they once meddle in an affair they take all the profit and think they do well by giving you a tithe of it there are plenty of wealthy moors who are ready to pay well for a christian slave especially when he is a good-looking young fellow such as this he will fetch as much as all those eight sailors below they are only worth their labor, while this youngster will command a fancy price. I know a dozen rich moors in Tripoli or Tunis who would be glad to have him, and we agreed that we would run down to the African coast for a while, for that galley has been altogether too busy of late for our comfort, and will be all the more active after this little affair. Besides, people in these islands have got so scared that one can't get within ten miles of any of them now without seeing their signal smokes rising on the hills and finding when they land the villages deserted and stripped of everything worth carrying away. This news was a disappointment to Gervais. He had calculated that he would be sold at one of the Levant ports and had thought that with his knowledge of Turkish he should have no great difficulty in escaping from any master into whose hands he might fall, and taking his chance of either seizing a fishing boat or of making his way in a trading ship to some district where the population was a mixed one, and where trade was winked at between the merchants there and those at some of the Greek towns. To escape from Tunis or Tripoli would be far more difficult there too he would be beyond the reach of the good offices of suleiman ali who would he was sure have done all in his power to bring about his release of one thing he was determined he would not return to rhodes without making every possible effort to recover claudia's gage as he considered it absolutely incumbent on him as a knight to guard as something sacred a gift so bestowed the fancy of the corsair to retain the jewel as a charm he regarded as a piece of the greatest good fortune had it been thrown among the common spoil he would never have known to which of the crew it had fallen at the division still less have traced what become of it afterwards whereas now for some time at any rate it was likely to remain in the captain's possession had it not been for that he would have attempted to escape at the first opportunity and such an opportunity could not fail to present itself ere long, for he had but to manage to possess himself of Muslim garments to be able to move about unquestioned in any Turkish town. When it became dark, he was shut up in the hold, which was, he found, crowded with captives, as in addition to the crew of the wreck, between forty and fifty Greeks, for the most part boys and young girls, had been carried off from the villages plundered. 
It was pitch dark below, although the scuttle had been left open in order to allow a certain amount of air to reach the captives. Gervais, therefore, felt his way about cautiously, and lay down as soon as he found a clear space, save an occasional moan or curse, and the panting of those suffering from the heat and closeness of the crowded hold. All was still. The majority of the captives had been some time in their floating prison, and their first poignant grief had settled down into a dull and despairing acceptance of their fate. The sailors, newly captured, had for hours raved and cursed, but worn out by their struggle with the elements, and their rage and grief, they had now fallen asleep. It was long before Gervais dozed off. He was furious with himself for having fallen into the trap. If he had, as he said to himself, lain off the beach in the boat, and questioned the supposed shipwrecked sailors, their inability to reply to him would have at once put him on his guard. As it was, he had walked into the snare as carelessly and confidently as a child might have done. Even more than his own captivity, he regretted the death of his three comrades, which he attributed to his own want of care. The next morning he was again allowed on deck. The vessel was under way, and her head was pointing south. To his surprise, some of the crew gave him a friendly greeting. He was unable to understand a manner so at variance with their hatred to the Christians, until one of them said to him in a mixture of Greek and Italian, We have heard from our countrymen, who were in the boat with you, that they received much kindness at your hands, and that of all the Christians they had served under, you were the kindest master. Therefore it is but right. Now Allah has decreed that you in turn should be a slave to the true believers, that you should receive the same mercy you gave to Muslims when they were in your power. The captain came up as the man was speaking. He talked for a time to the sailor, who then turned again to Gervais. The captain says that he is told that you were the commander of that galley. He has questioned the eight men separately, and they all tell the same story. And yet he cannot understand how so young a man should command a galley manned by warriors famous for their deeds of arms, even among us who are their foes. This galley was an exception, Gervais replied. The knights on board were all young, as they could be better spared than those more experienced, at a time when your sultan is known to be preparing for an attack on Rhodes. The captain was silent for a minute when this was interpreted to him. He had at the time noticed and wondered at the youth of the four knights, and the explanation seemed to him a reasonable one. I wish I had known it, he said after a pause. For had I done so, I would have fought and captured her yesterday. I have half a mind to go back and seek her now. He called up one of the ex-slaves who was a native of Tripoli, and who had now taken his place as a member of the crew, and asked him a number of questions. Gervais felt uncomfortable while the man was answering. Fortunately, his rowers had agreed to say nothing whatever of the destruction of the Corsair fleet of which no word had as yet reached the pirates, deeming that, in their anger at the news, the pirates might turn upon them for the part that they had, however involuntarily, borne in it. 
as soon as he perceived that the captain entertained the idea of returning to engage the galley the man felt that if he were to avoid a return into captivity he must deter him from taking such a step he therefore in answer to his questions as to the strength of the crew of the galley and the fighting powers of the knights reported the capture of the three vessels the captain listened almost incredulously to his statement and calling up another two of the men questioned them also as to the occurrence having heard them he turned away and paced the deck in evident anger however he gave no instructions for a change of course and to the great satisfaction of the eight rescued slaves the vessel continued her course southward as they neared the african coast gervais kept an eager lookout in hopes that visconti's galley might appear in sight the captain's temper had not recovered from the effect of the news of the capture of three moorish vessels by the galley commanded by gervais and the latter seeing the mood he was in kept forward so as to avoid coming in contact with him he had early taken the opportunity of saying to one of the released galley slaves i pray you if you have any feeling of kindness towards me for the efforts i made to alleviate your condition say no word of my knowledge of turkish and ask the others also to remain silent on this point the man had nodded and the request was observed by them all the captain's irritation showed itself in his treatment of the other captives these were brought up every day from the hold and kept on deck until dark as the price they would fetch in the slave market in tripoli would depend greatly upon their health and appearance but when the captain came near them he several times struck them brutally if they happened to be in his way gervais had the greatest difficulty in restraining his indignation and indeed only did so because he felt that his interference would but make things worse for them when at last the ship cast anchor off tripoli the captain ordered the boats to be lowered as he walked towards the gangway he happened to push against one of the captives a greek girl of some ten years of age with an angry exclamation he struck her to the deck gervais sprang forward you brute he exclaimed in english i have a good mind to throw you overboard and will do so the next time you strike one of these children without cause infuriated by gervaise's interference and threatening attitude the corsair drew his long knife but before he could strike gervaise caught his wrist the knife fell from his hand and gervaise kicked it through the open gangway into the sea the captain shouted to his men to seize the christian but the young knight's blood was up now the first man who came at him he seized by the sash round his waist and threw overboard the two next he stretched on the deck with blows from his clenched fist some of the others now drew their weapons but the captain shouted to them to sheathe them fools he yelled is it not enough that your cowardice has already cost us the lives of three knights whose capture would have brought us a big sum throw him down and bind him what are fifty of you afraid of one unarmed man no wonder these christians capture our ships if this is the metal of our crews goaded by his words the men made a general rush upon gervais and in spite of his desperate efforts threw him onto the deck and bound him then the captain seizing a heavy stick in his left hand his right being still powerless 
showered blows upon him until Gervais almost lost consciousness. Throw some water over the dog, the corsair said as he threw down the stick, panting with his exertions, and then, without waiting to see if his order was obeyed, he took his place in the boat and was rowed ashore. As soon as he had left, three or four of the ex-galley slaves carried Gervais into the shade of the sail. The sailors, several of whom bore signs of the late struggle, looked on sullenly, but offered no opposition when the men took off the ropes and raised him into a sitting posture against the mast. He had not entirely lost consciousness and was now fast recovering himself. "'Is there anything we can do for you?' one of the men asked in italian no i shall soon be all right again although i am bruised all over and shall be stiff for a day or two you had best leave me now for you will incur the enmity of these fellows gervais was indeed bruised from his neck to his heels even in his passion the pirate had avoided striking him on the head as a disfiguring mark on the face would diminish his value sitting there he congratulated himself that he had been beaten with a stick and not with a whip. A stick is a weapon, and he did not feel the same sense of dishonor that he would have experienced had he been beaten with a whip. That such might be his lot in slavery he recognized. The backs of Coretto and his two companions were seamed with the marks inflicted by the gangmaster's whip, and he could scarce hope to escape the same treatment. But at present he hardly felt a slave. There was another reflection that to some extent mitigated the pain of his bruises. The pirate captain held his treasured gauge, and it was his fixed determination to recover it. The man had at first in a rough way treated him fairly, and had allowed him more liberty than the other captives, and he would have felt reluctant to take extreme measure against him to recover the gauge. Now he was not only free from any sense of obligation, but had a heavy score to settle with him. After a time he got up and walked stiffly and painfully up and down the deck, knowing that this was the best plan to prevent the limbs from stiffening. The corsair did not return until night set in. He was accompanied by an Arab, whose dress and appearance showed that he was a person of importance. The other slaves had all been sent below, but Gervais still remained on deck, as the mate had not cared to risk another conflict by giving him orders in the absence of the captain. As the pirate stepped on deck, he ordered some torches to be brought. This is the Christian I spoke of, he said to the Arab, pointing to Gervais, who was leaning carelessly against the bulwark. He is, as you see, capable of hard work of any kind. His strength is prodigious for it took ten of my best men to bind him this morning. Why did you wish to bind him? The Arab asked coldly. You told me that although so strong, he was of a quiet disposition, and would make a good household slave. I struck a slave girl who stood in my way, the captain said and he came at me so suddenly that I had to call upon the men to bind him. He threw one of them overboard, and with his naked hands knocked down two others, and as I have told you, it took all the efforts of eight or ten more before they could overcome him. The Arab took a torch from one of the sailors, walked across to Gervais, who was naked from the waist upwards, 
his upper garments having been torn into shreds in the struggle, and examined him closely. And then you beat him, he said, turning to the captain. Certainly I beat him. Do you think that a slave is to mutiny on board my ship and escape unpunished? The Arab, without replying, again inspected Gervais. You ask a large sum for him, he said. I should ask twice as much, the captain replied, if it were not for the regulation that one slave from each cargo brought in belongs to the sultan, and his officers would as a matter of course choose this fellow, for the others are merely such as are sold in the market every day. This man is one of the accursed order of roads, and would fetch a ransom many times greater than the sum I ask for him. Only I have not the time to wait for months until the affair could be arranged. And moreover, Hassan, the Arab said, it has doubtless not escaped you that as the Sultan of Turkey is fitting out an expedition to destroy the community of Rhodes, the chance of their ransoming their comrade is a very slight one. Threatened men live long, the captain said. The Sultan has been talking of attacking them for years, and something has always happened to prevent his carrying out his intention. It may be the same again. I will take him, the Arab said shortly. Here is a purse with the sum you named. Count it, and see that it is right. As he stood apart while the pirate counted out the money, the eight released slaves came up in a body, and one of them, bowing low before the merchant, said, My lord, we have long been slaves of the Christian knights at Rhodes, and have worked in their galleys. We were rescued the other day when this knight was taken prisoner. Our life has been a hard one. We have borne toil and hardship and blows, the heat of the sun by day and the damp by night. But we would humbly represent to you that since we were placed in the galley commanded by this knight, our lot has been made bearable by his humanity and kindness. He erected an awning to shade us from the sun's rays, and to shelter us from the night dews. He provided good food for us. He saw that we were not worked beyond our strength, and he forbade us being struck unless for good cause. Therefore, my lord, now that misfortune has fallen upon him, we venture to represent to you the kindness with which he has treated us, in the hope that it may please you to show him such mercy as he showed to us. You have done well, the Arab said, and your words shall not be forgotten. When you land tomorrow, inquire for the house of Isaac ben Ebin. You are doubtless penniless, and I may be able to obtain employment for those of you who may stop at Tripoli, and to assist those who desire to take passage to their homes elsewhere. We are commanded to be grateful to those who befriend us, and as you have shown yourselves to be so, it is right that I, an humble servant of the Great One, should in his name reward you, Motioning to Gervais to follow him, the Arab stepped into his boat. Gervais turned to the men, and said in Italian, 
Thanks, my friends. You have well discharged any debt that you may think you owe me. Will you tell that villain? And he pointed to the captain threateningly. I warn him that some day I will kill him like a dog. Then turning, he stepped into the bow of the boat, and the two men who rowed it at once pushed off. End of chapter 17 Read by Peter Strong in Cartagena, Colombia On January 30th 2019